Good morning. morning. Who here loves summer? Yeah? Okay, I do too. I mean, I can deal without like 110 heat index, but um, I love this time of year. What, uh, I'm actually curious about some of the answers that you all, the question that we just asked each other. What are some of the things that you guys love about summer? Call them out. Volleyball. Swimming? Volleyball? Barbecue. Barbecue, yes. Being a teacher and having off. Okay, vacation. <laughs> Right? Freedom. No coat. Yeah, no coat, right? <clears throat> I absolutely love being outside. That's mine. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to go lay in the park and just enjoy the day. Do I have anyone else here that loves to like run out and grab that six-foot square patch of grass in Central Park and just enjoy the day? Or Prospect Park, since that's closer for many of you. There's just something about nature that calls to us, right? And thank goodness we have the parks here in New York City. It's a concrete jungle. Um, but we need the greenery and the plants that are there. And for those of you that aren't totally buying into this, think about it, all right? Think about February when we're shut in, how stir-crazy you're going to be. You can't wait for the weather to change to just get outdoors, right? Who here has made the mistake of going to Central Park on the first nice day of the year? All right. Yeah, anyone? I, I saw a couple of heads shake. Yeah, okay. So I made that mistake once. You got to try it. Just be prepared, okay? It's, it's quite a sight. Um, I think there were like 10 million people in that park on the day I went. You literally were walking. Have you ever been in a crowd coming out of an event or something where there's literally like 1,000 people and you're just all kind of milling the same direction? That was every single path in Central Park. It was crazy. There's something about nature that calls to us. And because I have to overdo everything, I take it one step further and I try to bring the greenery indoors. My fiance likes to say and joke that I have so many houseplants that I'm creating a greenhouse instead of a home. Um, but there is something about greenery that we need. Entire studies have been done about this and about the fact that greenery changes our brain chemistry. And to those plants that are so important for our health, roots matter. And it's not just about what we can see with our eyes above ground, it's about what's going on below the ground. And the roots nourish the plant, they anchor it. It's the roots that will hold trees in place in the middle of a hurricane. Who's heard the saying, putting down roots? Okay, good. So for those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're either not awake yet or you don't know what it means, so I'll explain it to you. Um, putting down roots is one of those things that I grew up with in the Midwest um, that was just commonplace and based on the number of hands a number of us did. But when you say you're putting down roots, you're saying that you're planting yourself in a place and intending to stay. You're going to make it hard to leave. Uh, you're going to stand your ground maybe. You're not going to move. Like a plant that's securely and firmly fixed in the ground, you're fixing yourself to something. Now, it could be a city, it could be a town, it could be a church, uh, a belief. But the point is that you're, you intend to stay. It's going to be hard to leave. This week, here at Forefront, we're starting a whole new series. I'm kicking it off. And in it, we're going to be focusing on the parables to see what Jesus teaches now, a little bit of background before we dive in further, but the word parable really just means a story that's 
cast alongside something else. It's a story that's used to make something else clear, to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. Um, Pierre told me after the last service, I'm going to use it. Um, <clears throat> a parable is just an earthly illustration of a heavenly truth. Yeah, it was pretty good, right? I, I'm not taking credit for that one. Those of us who grew up in the church grew up hearing the parables, right? All right they're commonplace. We've all heard them. The truth is, though, if you start diving in, that the parables are not actually all that straightforward. They're purposefully confusing a lot of times. The parables are not meant to be answers as much as they are meant to prompt us and encourage us to, to get us thinking differently. Warren Wearsby writes, Jesus did not teach in parables to confuse or condemn the people. Rather, he sought to excite their interest and arouse their curiosity. These parables would give light to those with trusting and searching hearts. I do want to say, if a parable is not making a lot of sense to you, that's okay. It is okay. And it may actually mean that Jesus is doing his job and trying to change the way you're thinking. Even the disciples didn't understand Jesus' teaching a lot of times. Matthew 13.10 recounts, um, and it says, The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? The, di the, the disciples had to ask. They didn't get it either. So we shouldn't feel badly if we don't. All right? Jesus may be trying to change the way we're thinking if something's not clicking. Wouldn't we prefer if that wasn't necessary, though? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if the stories were just straightforward? We didn't need to change the way we thought about something. Wouldn't it just be easier and a lot less messy? Well, like everything else with Christianity, it's often what happens between the lines that provokes thought. And that's going to be the case with the parable that we look at today. We're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. And I grew up with this one. Um, I was very excited to preach today, and I have to admit that actually, as I started preparing for today, I definitely ended up wrestling with this one. There are parts of the parable that I've never noticed before that really actually make me uncomfortable. It's a tough passage in places, and unfortunately, on top of that, there's just a lot of really bad theology tied into it. And so, like I said, I was excited to preach. But i got to tell you, this is a tough passage, and I didn't realize it until I actually started preparing for today. Fortunately, one of the things I love about this church is the fact that it is okay for us to ask hard questions and not have all the answers. It's okay to grapple. Are you all okay if we dive in and grapple a little bit with this together? Yeah? Great. So maybe the Spirit will speak with us a little bit. So Matthew 13 is where we're going to start. Now, I do want to say uh, Matthew 13 is actually the continuation of things that were going on in Matthew 12. And Jesus was really busy in Matthew 12. He was teaching. He was calling people out. He was trying to correct their incorrect thinking. He was confronting the Pharisees. He was doing quite a bit. And I don't know if he got tired or whatnot, but we transitioned into chapter 13, and he suddenly takes a very different approach, and that leads us to all of the parables. 
Okay, so let's dive in. That same day, <clears throat> Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all of the people stood on shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Before we go further into this, I do feel like I need to stop and just make another point about this parable. Whatever he is teaching here, Jesus saw it as incredibly important that his disciples understand what he is trying to teach, and us as well. Now, why do I say that? Well, there are several reasons. Um, first of all, this parable is one of only two parables in the entire Bible that Jesus takes the time to explain. This parable is one of only two parables in the Bible that appear in all of the historical Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke. This is the first one of those two. It's the first parable. And more time is given in Scripture to this parable than to any other. There's some point that he wants to make sure we get. Robert Capon writes, In the mind of careful Bible readers, a flag should go up every time the Gospels give such across-the-board treatment to anything. So what's he saying? What does this say to us? The story obviously isn't really about agriculture. Do we get that? Yeah? Okay. He's not teaching people how to farm. But the picture of roots that Jesus does use provides us a reminder that we have to be rooted to good soil to live our most meaningful lives, especially as Christ followers. And I'm going to be a little shameless and say, um, with this passage that we're looking at today, it is really easy to get lost in the weeds. Um, <laughs> Had to go there, sorry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it can be really challenging to see the main point with this parable because there is just so much bad theology out there. So what is the main point? Let's get to brass tacks. Let's just cut to the chase. The parable is about faith. And the point Jesus is trying to make is that faith is really foundational. Look, I know, all right, and I know that this is a little bit of a Sunday school answer, okay? Those of you that grew up in the church, every question when you were a kid, what was the answer? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. I know this is a little bit of that, but bear with me, okay? So faith is absolutely foundational to the kingdom. And faith is absolutely foundational to people being able to experience the kingdom fully. And faith is absolutely foundational for people being able to understand the kingdom. The kingdom's a mystery, God's work is a mystery. It's an incredible mystery, but it's a mystery. I purposely stopped our reading after the first part of the passage. We're going to get to the rest later. But I stopped it because we need to rewind a little bit. And most churches do not spend the time to approach these things as the audience that they're being 
spoken to would approach it. When we read this passage, we need to remember that the people of Jesus' day, including the disciples, did not know about the coming crucifixion and resurrection. We have the benefit of hindsight here. We have the benefit that Jesus actually explains the parable. The kingdom is a mystery. Now, we have one or two more answers than they had. There's still plenty we don't know, but we do know more. In that day, people did expect a Messiah. They were waiting for one, but they expected a very different type of Messiah than Jesus. What they expected was a political liberator from Roman oppression. They were looking for a political savior. They were waiting for someone to come in and right their wrongs and to get even, even, with those that had kept them beaten down. Those same people disappeared when they realized that Jesus was not really offering what they were wanting. They didn't understand what kind of kingdom Jesus was ushering in right up until he died on the cross. And even after that, in fact, it took his resurrection. The disciples were right there with them, too. They were confused by the story. Continuing on, Matthew 13, 10 says, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? <clears throat> he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I'm going to stop right here and reread that. I'm hoping that I misread that, okay? Jesus said, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Guys, I don't want to be up here talking about this particular passage. Um, <clears throat> I've got to be honest and say that this, this section makes me about as nervous right now as a pregnant nun. Um, this does not seem fair to me. I don't like it. It goes against my sense of justice and mercy and fairness and who I think Jesus and God are. But it's here and we can't ignore it. So what's he saying? <clears throat> well, people use verses like this to create an us versus them situation and a scenario. You know, they'll say that this verse says God is going to reward believers and punish those that don't believe. And you've heard how this plays out. We all have, some semblance or another. Um, you've heard things like, oh, they lost their house. God has got to be punishing them. Maybe they didn't go to church enough. Or, wow, their investments just, they've struck it rich. God is blessing them. God will reward us if we fill in the blank. Right? Have you heard some of this before? Or some variation of it? This actually is not what Jesus is saying here. And it is always, and I mean always, important to look at the context when you approach Scripture. If you take this section out of context, it certainly looks like it supports that kind of bad theology. 
So what's going on? Well, here, Jesus is actually answering a question his disciples asked him. Now, these men were committed to Jesus already. They were following him already. They left their homes. They left their jobs. Some of them even left their families. These men were following Jesus. And so he is answering these men that were closely living with him and following him. And his answer is not really as much of a promise, but it's more of a statement to them of just what is at that moment in time. This is the way things are. And if we put it in kind of our modern terminology, kind of how we would speak this kind of a passage, we might say something along the lines of, you know, since you're here, you're going to learn many wonderful things. Those that are choosing not to be here will miss out on the wonderful things that they could have learned. <clears throat> Jesus was reinforcing the faith of his disciples. He's not describing a small and a petty God. So what, where do we take from this? Well, it isn't about showing up, but it is about giving up to live with Jesus. The crowds on the shore showed up. The disciples gave up to live with him. If he were speaking to us today, he could be saying something along the lines of, <clears throat> those of you who live like me, you're anti-religious, but you're full of faith. You're counter-cultural, if culture's views are not exactly God-honoring. Those of you that are willing to break from the norm if the norm actually hurts humanity, you're going to get it. Have you ever had a trigger memory? And it's um, maybe a quote that pops into your head out of nowhere. You know, something someone said or a line from a movie that pops into your head and just absolutely fits that moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah? All right. Well, my grandmother used to teach Bible study classes um, before she passed, and she was just a phenomenal example of a woman of faith for me. Um, she was truly inspiring to me, and a lot like Mira is to a lot of us here. Um, just an incredible human being, passionate about her faith in Jesus. Um, just really inspiring. She used to say, my grandmother used to say, God gives us principles to live by, but man likes to live by rules. <clears throat> God gives us principles to live by, but man likes to live by rules. Now think about it. We are told to love our neighbor. And what happens? We create a list of do's and don'ts. Well, I should. I should be nice when I see them in church. You know, if they're sick, maybe I should take them some chicken noodle soup. If I think they're living in sin, I should confront them out of love. If I think they're living in sin, I should not support them. God says, repent. God says, follow me. What do we do? We start creating those lists. Whenever I hear someone starting to create that list of do's and don'ts or start pointing that religious finger, this is the phrase that pops into my head. God gives us principles to live by, but man likes to live by rules. Those people just don't get it. They miss the point. Jesus wants us to get it. Faith is foundational. And it's not about the rules. It's about faith in Jesus. 
he wants his disciples here and us to understand this. So much so that he goes on in Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23, to explain himself just to make sure we don't miss the point. He says, verse 18, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. Now, <clears throat> look, for many of us here, faith and fear are one and the same. To not believe or to not have enough faith brings a fear of punishment. To doubt brings a fear of rejection by God or the church or both. Both of those are absolute lies. Absolute lies. The faith that Jesus is talking about here asks us to embrace the mystery. We should simply be able to embrace the, the I don't know. Jesus does not want, nor does he expect us to have it all figured out. He simply wants us to have faith and to take steps to bring peace to God's kingdom. Robert Capon writes, Theology, <clears throat> an enterprise that, despite the oftentimes homicidal urgency Christians attach to it, has yet to save anybody. Can I just stop and get an amen? I mean, isn't that true, right? So continuing on, what saves us is Jesus. And the way we lay hold of that salvation is by faith. And faith does not mean anything other than trusting Jesus. It is simply saying yes to him rather than no. It is just yes, Jesus, till we die. Just letting the power of his resurrection do what it already has done. Folks, there is freedom in that kind of faith. This is uncomfortable for some of us. Let's be honest. Instead of seeing a willingness, instead of seeing faith as a willingness to take courageous steps in life with Jesus, some of us see a bunch of laws, do's and don'ts, and rules to follow. And in that sense, I have to ask, are some of us here afraid to believe? Are some of us here afraid of faith? You're not alone. When it is all about certainty, then of course we're not willing to believe. When it's about embracing the mystery, though, we are freed up to see that God can be working in us and working through us to bring peace to the world in an infinite number of ways, large and small, big and little. And that's freedom. Now, others accept him enthusiastically but fall away once troubles and pressures start. Have you been hurt or turned off by the church? 
I have been. Maybe you were hurt, like myself, by other people who thought they were actually communicating the gospel in Jesus' love, when in fact they were doing anything but that. Some of us are going to embrace his message, but we're unable to let go of the worries of life or the deceitfulness of wealth. Look, we're in New York City, and it's an amazing city, but we live here, and it seems like everyone is the top of their field or making $6 million a year by the time they're 30, right? <clears throat> it is so easy to, to worry, to freak out, to compare ourselves, and it is so easy to not have faith. Is your faith... Is growing in your faith, is coming to church less important to you and less of a priority than your career or money, your family, or your, just your next trip? What if faith was simply taking the next step? What if it's simply saying, yes? What if it's taking a plunge into something new even if we don't know what happens on the other side? If we're courageous enough to do that, we're spreading seed on good soil. And that's where life is lived. That's freedom, not fear. Some of us, Jesus says, will bear tremendous fruit. <clears throat> Some of us like the disciples, will bear fruit that lasts through the next 500 years of Christianity. Personally speaking, for a moment, <clears throat> I, excuse me for clearing my throat, I want a faith that embraces me for who I am and where I am. I want a faith of freedom, not one of fear. I want a faith where I do not have to have it all figured out. One where I'm free to say, look, I don't know the right answer, but I know the answer will be right. What about you? Do you want to have a faith where you don't have to have it all figured out? One that you are able to say, I don't know the right answer to this, but once I do, I know the answer will be right. That's what Jesus is offering to us. Can we embrace the mystery? Can we allow and trust him to work through us to bring peace to the world? What if the next 500 years of Christianity shifted from having to have it all figured out to simply having the courage to say yes. How incredible would that be? Can you even imagine it? Christianity without fear? That's what Jesus is inviting us to. Jesus has already done the work, and it's an impossible work, but he did it for us. Are we willing to step into that mystery and to trust even when it just, look, it just feels dumb? Are we willing to say yes and take the next step? Are we willing to say yes to put down roots in good soil? If we are, then we're seeds that are going to grow 
and thrive and take root. Let's pray. Lord, you have done an impossible work for us so that you can be with us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice given to us out of love. Thank you for this morning and this day and this church where we can honestly wrestle with Scripture. We pray that your Holy Spirit works in our hearts and minds today to help us come to a place of freedom. Lord, I pray that our faith means freedom and not fear. Please help us to have faith and to be rooted in good soil.